All right, thanks for joining me and Rick Huckstep as we talk big tech, small tech, and everything in between every two weeks, and there's still no sign of adverts. We're recording during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. She just left, having sorted out my 5 gigahertz signal problems with the Wi-Fi hub. Her fees are eye-watering, Rick, but the invoices come in on a lovely letter-headed paper direct from the palace. When was Her Majesty last in Spain, do you think? You know what? I've absolutely no idea. Do you know, it was a leading question because I looked it up and it says 1988. I was quite surprised. That long ago? Oh, well, I'm, I'm surprised. Yeah. What was she here for? Do, yeah, you, do, quite... do, you, do you know why she was here? Do you know, I didn't put that in my notes. Um, <laughs> I think it might have just been, I don't know, a, a donkey ride on the beach. <laughs> I'm really not quite sure why she was there. But, but uh, yeah, in 1988, I, I was quite surprised. I was 18 years old. Well, I never. Well, you know, there's quite a history going back uh, of the relationship between certainly England and Spain. And I learned just the other week, because my neighbour is a teacher and he teaches uh, heritage, that the town I live in, which is Ayamonte, was the capital of Spain for two days. And that was because the king of Spain at the time came to stay here. And and Spain and at the time, Spain and England were fighting France in the Napoleonic Wars. So um, anyway, that's just a You've just you've just triggered you've just triggered a little tip. Oh, there, I like yeah. it. So what um, what tech has interested you this week? There's probably two stories that caught my attention, but the main one I have to start with the, this one, which really only broke a couple of days ago, which is the story of uh, Sheryl Sandberg standing down from Facebook. And she's been there for how long? Well, she's been there for 14 years. Now the thing is that you know not a lot of people necessarily know who she is, but she really has been the the number two at Facebook and is the architect of making Facebook a money-making machine. When she joined in 2007, uh, or or 2007, the year just before she joined, the revenue of Facebook was something like $150 million. And you think last year it was $118 billion. And that is really down to the digital ad business model that uh, Sandberg created for, for Facebook. So it's quite, uh, you know, it's quite a momentous moment, I think, to see her stand down. Is she a divisive figure because of those things that she's responsible for, I guess is the right word? Divisive? That's a good word, divisive. I don't know. I mean, I, I think back, at, when I look back at the kind of history of Facebook, I would say Sandberg's tenure as COO and the number two really falls into two halves. The first half, which was the first seven years, was undoubtedly a success because she created what is now you know, the model for the digital advertising business. She came from Google where she ran the ad, AdWords business and she brought discipline, maturity. I mean, bear in mind, when she joined Facebook, Zuckerberg was only 23 and it was essentially a bunch of college grads running this, this business. Yeah. And she was 38 and she was you know, like an adult in the room. But in the second half of her tenure, really the last seven years are just defined, which unfortunately will be her, unfortunately for her, will be her legacy, are just going to be associated with misinformation. So you kind of got the first half, she created the digital ads business in social media as we know it today. And the second half uh, will be defined by the misinformation, which really come about after Trump got elected in 2016 and we had the Brexit referendum in the UK, which were both linked to you know, manipulation of user data by the advertising business model. Well, I think, uh, you know, doing a little bit of reading myself on this, because you said you wanted to mention it. And, um, you know, what I found was that divisiveness in in terms of how it's being reported. You know, some people, I think um, I've got Ariana Huffington here called her a champion of women. Mm. 
and uh, who inspired so many people. And, and, you know, this $500 billion market cap was built after she joined. And then you read in the same article, someone, a professor from the Harvard Business School who says, well, you know, she's responsible for the wholesale destruction of privacy, basically. So, yeah. you know, um, you're right. That, that legacy, it's so uh, black and white. As always, Sean, you've you've condensed my half an hour of rambling into 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 thirty seconds of concise and pithy uh, analysis. You've just you've just done it there and then. But no, that's exactly right because when when there was a time, and, and I've heard people like Kara Swisher talk about uh, Sandberg as the most famous COO in American corporate history, and now, for a time that was right because in the early days she was. Um, associated with good things because Facebook was on the rise in the first seven or eight years, really up until about 2016. She was on Oprah Winfrey. Uh, she was a big champion for women in the workplace. You know, she was seen to be someone who was championing a role in a, a very male-orientated Silicon Valley tech industry. You know, and then you've got the other side of the coin, which is that Facebook is undeniably linked to human rights abuses and mental health issues and you know, some would argue, I would argue, you know, the rise in, in, in problems in, in the teenage demographic. And then you've got the whole kind of voter manipulation that we saw in 2016, yeah. you know, and the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which frankly was in plain sight. And Facebook just did, not only did they not see it and do anything about it, they still haven't done anything about it. And so you've still got a situation now where you've got Russian, you know, bot farms who are manipulating Facebook's advertising system and they're still able to get away with it. And they, and so, you know, she was in the position to have changed all of that, you know, for the last seven years. Yeah, she could have, she could have done something exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's no exactly. question she's been a, vo a voice for many good causes and the speculation is that she'll kind of follow as kind of a, a philanthropic career going forward. Well, that's the model to me. Don't get me started on that. That's the American model. Yeah. It's it's almost it's almost that, you know, uh, what I've done some bad things as a tech giant in my time. So what do I want to look like now <laughs> towards the end of my life? Mother Let's give a load of money away and get some awards for, for philanthropy. I think it's a model. You you look at all of them. Yeah. You, you can track back all of them pretty much and they all do the same thing. Uh, the other one I just wanted to mention, Sean, if we've got, if, if you indulge me for another 30 seconds, which well, I'll I can always indulge you. <laughs> it was about Twitter. And, um, uh, you know, always a, a subject that's worth talking about. But it's not necessarily, it's not really about Elon Musk this time. So they were fined. hundred goodness. Yeah. yeah, well, they were fined £150 million. And what it was for was um, pushing people to give them a phone number on the basis that they would use that for two-factor authentication. But they were then using that number to target advertising. And they were doing that without notice or consent. You know, and we've talked about this whole question of consent before and, um, you know, how technology companies have sort of ridden roughshod over it. Well, anyway, it's caught up with Twitter and they and this ran from 2013 to 2019. Oh, who was this fine from, Rick? Uh, yeah, the Twitter fine was by the, the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission in, in the United States. Mm. It's small change, though, for them, isn't it? Is, is it enough of a deterrent for these things? It's always worth it. Yeah, as they say, it's like a parking fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you would, wouldn't you? You know, if, 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 if it was only, if your fine was 50 quid to park outside the house as opposed to 100 quid in the car park, you would, wouldn't you? And, and that's, yeah. you know, that's the, that's the problem. It's, it's just when you think of what, what, what are Twitter doing? They're doing about a 
They're making a, they make about a billion dollars a year in profit from memory. I think they're about five billion dollars a year in revenue. They're making about a billion dollars a year. This fine goes back over a period of time, but it's history. It's 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 fifteen percent of one year's annual profit. I mean, of course, it'll hurt, but it's not it's not going to knock them off course. I, I live near Alderley Edge, and you can always see a Lamborghini in the disabled spot at the supermarket. Here's the news. Alternative search engine and browser DuckDuckGo was found to have a hidden tracking agreement with Microsoft. Known for its privacy and transparency, the CEO confirmed the tracking and said the company had never promised full anonymity, which sounds like the company isn't as transparent as it likes to make out. The behaviour only affects the browser as far as anyone knows and not the search engine. Swedish buy now pay later firm Klarna intends to lay off 10% of its 6,500 employees. It's also looking to raise, raise fresh funding. And the Klarna CEO, Sebastian Simakovsky, blames the invasion of Ukraine, a shift in consumer sentiment, a steep increase in inflation, a highly volatile stock market and a likely recession. Finally, Dyson wants to build the UK's largest robotics research centre. The company announced that 2,000 people have joined it in 2022, half of which are engineers. It plans to recruit a further 700 robotics engineers in computer vision, machine learning, sensors and mechatronics over the next five years. Haven't actually heard that word before, Rick. Mechatronic. Look, I, I saw this thing. It's, it, there's a significant amount of investment on robotics going in from, from Dyson. be interesting to see, you know, which way they take it, you know, and having artificial, intelligent, artificial intelligence in your robot so it can... I think it's things like you can say to it, clean under the table, and it'll know what you mean, and instead of it just kind of like bumping into the walls. And, you know, maybe we'll all have robots in our houses. It'll be like... I'm uh, kind of looking forward to it, you know, sort of 20 years from now, having having a robot look after me. Have you ever seen that film with um, Frank Langella? Um, ro- uh, is it Robot and Frank or something like that? Have you seen <laughs> I it? I don't know. Oh, it's terrific. I don't know that one. It's basically an old guy who, who wants his independence and his uh, family get him this robot to look after him. And he doesn't get on with it. I don't need a robot. And he ends up making friends with it and then sort of being mischievous with it. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great couple of hours entertainment. Frank, you need a project. Mental stimulation plus a regimented schedule will vastly improve your cognitive functioning. Besides, it's good exercise. Frank, we're going to have to work together. You are a robot butler. I'm not a butler, Frank. I'm a healthcare aide programmed to monitor and improve your physical and mental health. Yeah, get out of my house. If you're not going to cooperate with me, I might as well not be here. Fine with me. If that's the way you feel, I'll contact Hunter. Good. What are you doing? You got a phone up there in that brain? You're calling him? Look, you heard what he said. He was trying to put me into a nut house. I don't recall Hunter saying that. There's nothing wrong with my memory. I'm fine, I'm telling you. I'm fine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. My memory is fine. What am I doing? I'm talking to an appliance. I mean, there is a serious side to this whole thing of, have, in old age, having some form of technology partner. Um, there's, a, there's a lot going on with robotics. Maybe we'll talk about it in another week because it's quite an interesting story. Yeah. And particularly, there was, there was a headline the other week 
some guy some guy in japan i think it was had, had like married his avatar um but he, he now was disappointed that uh, he wasn't getting the full kind of emotional satisfaction that he was expecting and he wants a divorce and he's just kind of like bonk. well it sounds like a real <laughs> relationship what's the difference he wants reality right i don't know i don't know i don't know how i get drawn into these some of these subjects because i'm thinking you know i haven't got enough time as it is <laughs> i end up reading a clickbait i'm a clickbait uh, i'm easy i'm easy pickings you remember uh, we briefly covered tiktok in the last show yeah hot topic hot topic well after the episode i had an email from a listener called kevin in a place called oxford which uh, by the way is a beautiful city now what, what kevin said to me was he said um uh, a bit love to start with he said great show guys love the chemistry between you two uh, you got my that's at- nice yes yeah, very nice of him. yeah thank you kevin uh, you got my attention when you talked about TikTok and how much time people spend on the app. I've never used TikTok myself, but heard my kids talk about it. I'd love to know what the story is here and why is TikTok apparently so addictive? And I thought, well, that's a great question because we, particularly you and I, Sean, you know, we're kind of in this space. We just, we just make loads of assumptions that everybody knows sort of what we do. So, yep. And there is a generational thing around TikTok. Uh, you, because it's predominantly used by, not exclusively, but predominantly used by younger demographic. I think 20 to 25 is their main core niche. And so, right, so okay. maybe we should just do a little bit more detail about TikTok. Yeah, yeah, let's talk it because there's a lot to cover with TikTok as well, isn't there, in terms of the things that you and I talk about, you know, uh, privacy and, and social media and stuff. So let's go for yeah. it. Yeah, well, I thought let's just start with some data points, kind of like let's, you know, put hmm. some context and some shape around this thing. Um, so the app is, I mean, we all talk about how many people use it. So the app is predicted to have about one and a half billion monthly users by the end of the year, which is more than Twitter, Snapchat and LinkedIn combined. And to put that into context, Instagram has about two billion and Facebook has nearly three. So, um, you know, it's well on its way to being in that. Well, it's one of the top three. But the key stat is that TikTok is growing faster than Facebook or Instagram ever did. It's also the most downloaded app uh, across both Apple and Android for the last two years and has already had over 3 billion downloads. Um, the average user spends more time on TikTok than on Facebook and Instagram combined. And this is the stat that we picked up from the, the Scott Galloway um, video from a week ago, was that it's used on average 26 hours a month which is which I did the maths, and that's equivalent to about thirty six working days a year. There's that novel that everyone's supposed to be able to write down the TikTok tube, really. Instead of writing that book, yeah, well, you know, exactly. We're on TikTok. But the thing was, four years. Well, ago, I'm not. Are you? Uh, Are you? I, I, Let, let's do a disclaimer. Who's using it between us two? Because I'm not. I turned it off, and I tell you why. Because I was I was sucked into that. I was sucked down that drain hole too. I started it and. What it, the way I got into it is I've got a very good friend who's in the insurance space in Germany and he runs a consulting business and he started doing TikToks about two years ago and, I, and, and they were just nonsense. They were just him just pulling funny faces and making funny sounds and I thought, what's all this about? And he's got like a gazillion followers and he's... Has he really? Right. It's huge. And he, but he, what he's done is he's turned it into a message to insurance because he sells consulting... Um, to essentially the insurance industry. And it was like, what he's learned 
um, you and I, you know, he's learned, he's two years ahead of all of us now because he's learned how to work the app. But the whole point of TikTok is that it's going to be the place where people put their attention. It's so much easier to just turn on TikTok. And then if you're a brand and you want to promote or if you're an influencer and you want to get messages across, you're you're going to get more traction from TikTok than you would if you were going on to Facebook or Instagram. And that's why there's this huge shift. And that's why people like Facebook are so worried about TikTok. Let's dig a little deeper into that. So when you say traction, is uh, how is that defined? How is it measured, that traction? So, for instance, what's the difference between a large brand such as McDonald's in terms of traction and then your, your friend, the insurance guy? Well, the main measure of the main measure is always like the uh, amount of time, uh, you know, essentially time on the platform. That's how, that's how all of these uh, platforms are measured. And, and TikTok's overriding statistic is way ahead of anybody else's in terms of the amount of attention that it can get for, for people. But the thing that sets um, TikTok apart from, say, a Facebook or an Instagram is the way that it serves up the content to you. So if you're on, if you're on their traditional platforms, Facebook, the feed is all largely um, dominated by what your friends and family are putting onto the, their feeds. And then your network kind of feeds what is being fed onto your news feed. So you seeing what your friends and family like. And then. Whereas TikTok is, is a little more direct. Well, it? TikTok's completely different because TikTok bases it entirely on what you, Sean, like. So it collects more signals in more time than any other kind of platform. If you think about, if you go to Netflix, for example, you'll spend 10 minutes deciding what to watch and then you'll watch a show for an hour. And in one, well, in one hour, it's. That's an interesting analogy i'm sorry to interrupt that's an interesting analogy i just want to step back to what you said there you were almost describing the difference between an actual social media app or an entertainment channel so if you had to pick one of those things what would you describe tiktok as a social media app or a or a entertainment an channel? entertainment channel yeah i think it's more it's a more it's more closely I mean, we tend to think of, say, like YouTube, we call it a social media, but it's really entertainment. The, the war is going to be between your, your big streaming paid-for platforms like Netflix and, uh, and then your, your platforms where the content is created by individuals like you and I, which is your YouTubes mm. and your TikToks. Where TikTok has the advantage over YouTube is that there's no decision-making. You open the, the app. And as immediately you're fed with a with a video that is geared towards your preferences and has been liked and watched many many times. So it's kind of been proven to be popular, yeah. and it goes on from there. And then all you have to do with the app is just move your thumb a little bit. There's nothing you have to do physically. It's a very you can just you can hold it in your hand and just swipe it with your app. And every ten seconds when you're bored with that video you move on to the next one and you can so as a consumer you know it's a great consumption channel i guess but for for those who are creating so to come back to that whole mcdonald's and your insurance friend question what are they getting can they monetize or is it or, or is it all about brand awareness it's brand awareness yeah it's brand awareness right yeah. i mean the great story is charlie is this um 16 year old uh cheerleader out of florida called charlie d'amelio who was who i think is still the most followed tiktoker and she started when she was about 15 dancing and making, you know, just like millions of other uh, teenage girls dancing videos. But she had a fondness for Dunkin' Donuts. And so she started having Dunkin' Donuts 
just casually in her videos or she posts mm. and so they, they they started paying her so as a tiktoker she earns a significant amount of money for endorsements essentially and then yeah and in fact i think she's even got um dunkin donuts drinks named after her and then they see her so the brands kind of get it another way you know they they monetize by simply raising awareness yeah, followers, uh, followers are gold, aren't yeah. they? If it, as long as you have enough followers, you can make money. Well, you look at it as well, music. I mean, music is one of the big areas where TikTok is having an influence. This guy won Eurovision, or came second in Eurovision with Spaceman. I can't remember his name. He's huge on TikTok. You know, artists are, are releasing tracks. You know, song In the old days, you and I would listen to the hit parade, and we'd wait on a Sunday night to listen to the charts, and we would get our music from Radio 1. Whereas nowadays, you don't need a record label and all the distribution and promotion that goes with it. You can put your music onto TikTok, and if it's any good, it'll get going, and you can have a huge following, and um, you'll never be on the radio. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, actually, because uh, I think SoundCloud was one of those platforms that really wanted and, and still does uh, supply that platform for, for people to get their music out there. Along comes TikTok. And basically provides an easier platform, a better platform for musicians to share their music. So there's another business that they've cut into, and, and it, I just find the whole thing quite interesting. The question is, is it comes down to a question of distribution. You know, the thing that's that's occupying my mind. I, you know, I, I started this newsletter, and you know, mm. discoverability of it is just really hard. It doesn't matter how good your content is, and how many. It's like with this podcast. You know, we've got to get people to find it. And places like SoundCloud are a great platform. You know, technically, it's a great product. But if you wanted to find something, what would you, how would you do that? Whereas with TikTok, because the way TikTok works is that, and it's worth understanding the sort of psychology of it, is that it's, it uses this thing called random reinforcement, which is exactly the same sort of uh, human behavior that, that um, uh, is behind our addiction to, say, slot machines. You know, this, this thing of like mind-numbingly just put a, put a coin in, pull a handle, wait for a result. Yeah. And then every now and again, you get a win and you get a little dopamine hit. But it's also instant. It's like it's repetitive. Every three seconds, you're pulling the handle, putting another coin in. And every now and again, you, and, and that's, the, that's what's driving this addiction to TikTok because you can, you can sit and hours can go by. And that's why I turned mine off because... You felt like you were becoming Homer Simpson. Yeah, well, it's, well exactly. But because TikTok is so... It's just... I mean, I, it's amazing how they just work out exactly what you like. And then they feed up. But they also know... Uh, the, the Wall Street... I think it was the Wall Street Journal, the New York, po New York Times. I think it was Wall Street Journal last year. Got their hands on some internal documentation about the algorithms... And they found that, um, you know, it's a deliberate, deliberately developed into the code that what TikTok will do is if, if you like, if you're watching videos of, of, of kittens jumping over obstacle courses that have been made for, for them to navigate to, uh, to Mission Impossible music, when there's loads of them and they're quite addictive, then what will happen is they'll, they'll realize after you've watched 10 of them that you're going to start getting bored, you, you know, you want to move on. So they'll start feeding you puppies jumping over obstacle courses and then you'll get you know, you get other animals and then it kind of goes on. And so they, and then what they do is they see whether you, they like the suggestion, the alternative suggestion. And if you don't pay any attention to it, they don't push it anymore. But if they do, then they kind of know now that you like a little bit broader and that's, and, and, and they start taking you down different avenues. And this is where some of the downside of TikTok has 
is coming to question. What do you guys, our newbie listeners, think we should be talking about in the next episode? You can join our Discord server or send me an email at btlt at seanweston.co.uk. And we're both on LinkedIn, so drop us a note to say hello. You know Anonymous, right? No. No, Anonymous is, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to badly describe Anonymous, where Anonymous is this kind of... Uh, person no one really knows hence the name i know what you mean yeah yeah and, sorry i do know yeah yeah, yeah okay. I do know what you mean. Uh, well uh, anonymous published a, a, a video listing uh, the dangers of tiktok and, and i found that quite surprising to be honest um and, and here's a quote if i can uh calling it an advertising platform is an understatement tiktok is essentially malware that is targeting children don't use tiktok don't let your friends and family use it delete tiktok now if you know someone that is using it explain to them that it is essentially malware operated by the chinese government running a massive spying operation end quote wow mm. that's a bit too conspiratorial for me it's a little bit well that's the that's the whole point of anonymous but what does anonymous know that the rest of us don't perhaps yeah i mean t- t- tell me about the downsides you've listed well i think so first off i i don't i don't buy into the chinese state um, kind of spying on us kind of theory. I'm not, I'm not sure that there's evidence for that. Where there is concern is, for example, um, eating disorders. So if you imagine, and bear in mind, there's supposed to be a, an age limit of 13, but there was a problem in Italy about a year ago when the Italian regulate, there was, the, the, there was a, a viral uh, video about like death choking or something. There was this thing where kids try and f- create a blackout you know they hold their breath and they oh, okay. they, right. they kind of create a sort of strangulation and then they try and do a temporary blackout and then they come back around and 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 a, and a kid died and um, it was linked to um, a tiktok thing and and the the regulators were were big on this for obvious reasons and tiktok deleted like half a million accounts where they couldn't verify the age and many were believed to be under 13 um oh, but the the, okay. the thing that um was a big story that I think again was in the Washington, New York Times, Washington Post. I can't remember uh, last year, which was around um, eating disorders. So you imagine the kind of scenario. So uh, you know, a teenage girl, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, starts looking at models, and starts looking at catwalks, and starts looking at comparing themselves to, you know, this kind of notion of a perfect form. Which is, you know, which is, a, which is a problem that, you know, Instagram has had. And well, we've had it for years with teen magazines as, as well, haven't we? But what TikTok does is it will see that and then it will start taking them t- as it starts to test what other things they might like. The, the, the newspaper did a, an investigative journalism piece where they created 20 or 30 accounts of 13 or 14 year old girls to see how TikTok would, where it would take them. And what they found was they all ended up with watching videos on how to live on 300 calories a day, how to live on only water. There was things called the death, what's it called? The death corpse bride or the corpse bride diet or something. It was called the corpse bride diet. And it was, which was basically um, this notion that you starve yourself so that you look perfectly thin for your wedding dress and wedding day. And, and they, and, and it was worrying because it was only a week from start to kind of getting to the point when there was a regular stream of these videos and of course the people making the videos are after the attention so they they make them more and more extreme yeah. all the time yeah. and so you've got this kind of hand-in-hand situation where the the algorithm is feeding more of the demand but they've created the demand in the first place because the 
in this case, the investigative journalism didn't, journalists didn't start with 300 calorie a day diets. They started looking at perfectly legitimate uh, videos of models, and it, but they ended up in a place which was quite dark. So there's a, a sense of TikTok perhaps not being used as responsible, not being built as responsibly as it could be. And I guess we could point that finger at any social media platform, couldn't we? we could re Even though this is an entertainment channel. But, you know, it, well, it's bigger, isn't it? Because you could say, you know, if you go back to things like we used to have piles of chocolate bars by the, the checkout aisles at Tesco's. Yeah, yeah, and, and still do in you many know, places. And then they yeah. banned those. Yeah. We used to have cigarette companies advertising Formula One cars, and then we banned. Yeah. So I guess there's always been something of things which are on which which used to be able to advertise and promote themselves and this is just a new form of it so i i don't necessarily want to make this entirely a it's about tiktok i think they're just doing what other industries have done um i think the concern is that they're able to do it on an industrial scale that we couldn't do before you know when you've got a billion and a half people every month using the app and no one's policing it nobody can see what's going on this that's that's the interesting thing yeah so i mean and we we have in in the west countless independent privacy watchdogs and and watchdogs for other sorts of things on this while there's no such thing in china so can you break down um any of the regulatory things around tiktok is does it all come from ByteDance, which is the owner is there an american version that has to comply with american regulation well, i'm glad you mentioned china because china gets a bit uh, quite a lot of bad press for you know justifiable reasons, for multiple yeah, reasons. Yeah. yeah but you know when it comes to, t to tech regulation i think they're showing the west the way to go i think they're ahead of of us uh, a year ago i'm trying to think of the date but about a year ago the the, the start of last year they the the chinese regulators and like you know, every Western UK, you know, um, Western Western nation. You know, there's there's multiple uh, divisions and, uh, and and areas of it. But in 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 the main, China had this big crackdown on the way technology was being used and introduced some really draconian laws, lockdown laws. So, for example, on TikTok with ByteDance, they mandated that every five minutes, the uh, the the user gets a gets a, a, a an enforced pause so if you're watching endless videos of kittens jumping over obstacles courses to mission impossible music after five minutes a message will come up that will say maybe you should take a break a break maybe you should get some fresh air maybe you should go play a game maybe you should go take a drink and also they they insisted that there was there was a regular spread of educational and informative videos so you couldn't get stuck in one kind of stream of a downward spiral of, of videos that went from a model to mm. a 300 day, a 300 calorie a day diet. So they enforced that. They also introduced laws that restricted the amount of time kids could spend, uh, you know, under 18s could spend on playing games, for example. And there were, you couldn't use social media platforms from after 10 o'clock at night before eight o'clock in the morning. So they were, they were very draconian. And, and my, I have, my friend who lives in Shanghai told me that it was simply because of a, a general concern that they'd looked at the West and said, we don't want that happening here. You can get a political argument as to um, uh, that, but I think from a technology regulation point of view, they were quite far-sighted, and I would personally would be very happy to see that kind of control put in place in the West, but it will never happen 
uh, it will never happen here um, to the same extent. But I think China are ahead of the West. Well, on that note, I think we could talk about TikTok all day. And I think let's come back to it on a future episode as well, because there's so much going on there, I think, isn't there? And, and, um, and let's see where it goes as well in terms of... Um, more sign-ons, more people giving up their phone numbers to log in. And I look forward to seeing your channel so you can get more newsletter subscribers, perhaps <laughs> using uh, perhaps using Lalo Schifrin's famous Mission Impossible theme in the background. I'd love to see you doing that squirrel thing Yeah, to get more, uh, more newsletter subscribers. I'll try. What are you going to do, dance? Yeah. <laughs> can you dance? <laughs> I tried. I, I did, there are some TikTok videos of me. Uh, uh, I did do some TikTok oh, videos. Oh, there are already? Yeah, I've got a TikTok channel. Yeah, Wiser, Wiser in 10, I think it's called. There is well, a, I didn't know that. I haven't. I haven't. They're all about They're all about six or seven months old now. I stopped doing it because okay. I, I found it a distraction. And um, there, there's, there's not enough time in the day uh, as it is. So I, I'm much more focused. I, there was something a bit shallow about it. Or oh, I must admit, I found it difficult to to do it i think my my kids are much better at doing the social media promotion than i am but um as my as my german friend says rick you just got to get over yourself <laughs> what, what are you reading at the moment by the way uh, well i'm just about to i'm just about to decide what to read next but i have just finished um a fascinating fascinating book by a guy called daniel uh daniel kahneman which is which was thinking fast and slow and um, I'm, <clears throat> I love any book that kind of talks about the way the brain works and the way human behavior uh, works yeah. and how it's influenced by emotions and chemicals and things that are beyond our control, you know, our kind of subconscious brain. So I love all of that. And it, I got to the book because I listened to a podcast with him a few months ago and he was talking about his, his life. And he's, you know, he's an, old, he's an old elderly gentleman now, but he was fascinating. And he was just talking about how him and his colleague, who is now passed away, called Amos, they used to spend long hours walking and talking about human behaviour and trying to figure it out. And then they would come up with tests because they were both university professors, so they had resources. They would come up with tests to try and prove it. And I loved it all, you know, just the way people behave. What about you? My partner and I, we, we decided uh, at the end of last year that we would buy one another a book at the beginning of every month. And, uh, you know, to try and read more outside of work because the pair of us, we just read and read and read every day for work. And I've, we're finding it tough. I'm already two months behind. So I was, I was bought a, a book by, a, I think it's a biography of Bob Odenkirk. He's the guy from Better Call Saul. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And then uh, I've, got a couple, I've got a couple of crime novels, Magpie Murders being one of them. I, I'm 5% in. I love how um, if you're reading on a device, it tells you the percentage of what you're in. <laughs> I'm only 5%. I'm shaming myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still find it tough to want to open that book at the end of the, the evening and go... Do you know what? I've been reading all day, so I need to get right back on it. I, I'm the same. I'm the same because I'm, I spend a lot of time reading and, and then just go to something different. Maybe you should get TikTok, Sean, because <laughs> maybe at the end of a day, when your brain's a little bit tired, just a, an hour or 30 minutes of you know, mind-numbingly tedious, repetitive videos is what you need. My, my, my vice is Instagram, actually. I love, I love the pictures. I love looking at old pictures yeah. of the Beatles and stuff. So it, it knows I like that, and then it just feeds me oh, that. Yes, yes. Good shout. Yeah, good shout. Thanks for listening to our third episode. We're thankful for every single listener who tunes in to hear what we have to say. We're getting the show on its feet still, 
and we'd love to hear from you and get some interesting conversations going. Join us on our Discord server. Uh, check out our episode guides on our special link and you can also email us at btlt at seanweston.co.uk and we're both on LinkedIn. This has been a Sean Weston Media production. I was Sean Weston. And I was Rick Huckstep.